Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Ramp Podcast. Today, we have Melissa Grabener. She has over 20 years of HR and talent acquisition experience. She has a ton of knowledge. She's a great content creator on LinkedIn, so you can find her there. And we're really excited to have her today. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. I'm super happy to be here. Appreciate it. So we start every show by asking our guests the very first question, which is, who is Melissa Grabener? First and foremost, I am a wife and a mother of two boys. I have a freshman in college, I have a junior in college, and I've been happily married for just hit my 25th year anniversary. From wow. a, yeah, from a career standpoint, my entire career, I have worked in the HR and talent acquisition space. The bulk of my experience was at a company called Baxter Healthcare, which ultimately turned into Takeda Pharmaceuticals. There were a couple of other companies in between. So basically, you know, in the 18 years I was there for the last five years, the company switched hands four times. So I have a lot of experience working through, you know, acquisitions of companies, kind of, you know, companies splitting in half. So the first 10 years of my career were spent in human resources. I predominantly employer relations based. So a lot of my job was traveling across the country, typically on a moment's notice to work through any sort of like mass layoffs, terminations, working through employer relations issues. And then that job got to be too much because I had my first child and a lot of the trouble, like I said, was Melissa, we need you on a plane tomorrow. So I was very fortunate in the fact that my boss understood that I wanted to kind of switch gears, but stay at the company. So they created a position for me and the business that I was supporting at the time, we had locations all over the country and all of those locations were managing their staffing independently. We had no processes, we had no procedures. We were absolutely not compliant with you know, the affirmative action plan. It was basically a mess. And so the senior leader said to me, we trust you to build this department as you see fit. I had pretty much an open budget and they said, hire as many people as you need, You know, perhaps bring in an applicant tracking system and put together a strategy of how you think this should be tackled, which I did. The leaders really liked it. And from that point on, I built out a pretty large team. When I left the company, I had 11 direct reports. We managed 48% of all hires globally for the organization. We hired over 3,000 people a year. So wow. my team was absolutely a very well-oiled machine. We had people in roles that we, we cro I cross-trained people as well. So like if someone was on vacation, I'd have someone else on the team, you know, take care of their roles. But it was a constant bringing in candidates, interviewing and I was very proud of the work I did. You know, building a department from inception without any sort of playbook was not an easy task, but I did a lot of the research I needed to do and came up with what I thought made the most sense for the business at the time. And as the company continued to grow and evolve, my team had to grow and evolve along with it. So we mm. went through a couple of different applicant tracking systems. I did a deep dive of all of our processes and procedures every six months. We did like a black belt, green belt sort of process where we took every part of what we did and dissected it from start to finish, always keeping the candidate experience in mind. And one of the things that's super important to me and what I'm really passionate about is the candidate experience for a multitude of reasons. But I think that if a company gets that right, that they're on a great path forward. 
Um, I ended up leaving the company. They switched hands and moved to Boston. So I ended up leaving after 18 truly remarkable and amazing years. Wow. You don't see that very often these days. Someone staying somewhere for even more than two or three years, oftentimes. Okay. A lot of questions stemming from, from all that information. First, I wanted to just ask, have you seen the movie Up in the Air, like with George Clooney? A hundred percent. Yes. And you, you know, it's funny. I actually saw that with my father. And when the movie came out, I think that was around the time that I was transitioning to this talent acquisition position. And my dad was saying to me that this movie was made for me because that's exactly yeah. what I did. I mean, it was not uncommon for me to be on a plane the next day. And I'll tell you a funny story. When I joined the company, my boss called me two days before my start date on a Saturday. And she said, I need you to go to West Virginia to deal with an employer relations issue. At that point in time, I never went through orientation. I never saw the company handbook. I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. Um, where I went, it was in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and it was such a small town that there was actually one employee working the entire airport. So the airport people that go like this for the planes was the same person who checked me in to, <laughs> to the actual plane. But I was there for a week and kind of just had to figure out how to tackle this and what to do. And again, that was my first week at the company. I had no idea what the company's stance was in any of this, but I did it. And from that point on, I said to myself, if I can manage this, I could do anything. Looking back, it was tough, but what a great experience it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to touch on something you mentioned when you were chatting through some, like the progression of your experience at the company. And you said that for most companies, like one of the most important things you think in terms of a good company experience is related to the candidate experience. So tell me what you mean by that. Like nowadays, I think a lot of candidates get frustrated in the last 20 years, let's say there's been a lot of innovation in the hiring space, whether it's like, you know, going digital and mass applications and all that stuff. But at the same time now, I think you see a lot of people getting frustrated with having to go through long extended interview processes or get ghosted, just a lot of different things that candidates are experiencing. So from the company side, what do you feel like are the two or three or four things that companies can do to enhance the candidate experience either in the hiring process or like immediately afterwards? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's an important question as well. So when I was managing a team, I had a two week SOP from the time a candidate applied to the job to the time they got the verbal offer, two weeks, no more, because I thought if we don't do this quickly, we're going to lose potential talent. What I believe every company should do is for starters, every CHRO or head of HR should understand the processes of their company in regards to talent acquisition. Depending on the size of the company, I also believe all of the, you know, the very top, the C-suite, even maybe the CEOs should understand exactly what it means for our candidates or for any candidate when they apply to a job. With the candidate experience, what's super important is, and Ben, I'm sure you know this as well, being in this space, every few years, the pendulum kind of changes, right? So like right yeah. now we are in an employer-driven market. In a year from now, my guess is, if not less, we're going to be in an employee-driven market. And these candidates that are ghosted or these candidates that take the time to not only embark on a very you know, you know, know, large interview process if they're not treated well, this company is not going to have a very easy time finding talent. And interestingly enough, what I'm finding on LinkedIn a lot lately are people actually posting about companies that have either ghosted them 
or treated them poorly during the process. Mm. So every head of TA for every organization, no matter how big or how small, has to understand what the candidate goes through. And from there, they can find ways to better the process. Maybe the application process is too long. Maybe the recruiters aren't getting back to the candidates in a timely fashion. Whatever it is, they have to always have the candidate experience at the forefront because not only do they lose potential talent, but with you have things like Glassdoor, you have other you know right. websites where people can go in and they can talk about their experience. It tarnishes a company's reputation significantly if candidates are not treated well. And I also believe that you want these people to be ambassadors for your company, right? So maybe a company interviews a candidate and it's not a fit for this time, or maybe they show someone else, but what's to say the company in three months down the line won't have a similar opening where that person they interviewed three months prior could be a great fit. And if a right. candidate is treated poorly, they're not gonna wanna work at that company. So white glove service, in my opinion, is the way to go with every touch point within the candidate journey. Okay, makes a lot of sense. And I think you see a lot of people, common advice for job seekers is the same thing on the other side, which is when you interact with a company, let's say you don't get the job ultimately, you see a lot of advice around how do you like keep the relationship in a good spot, whether it's by sending a thank you note or just like staying in touch, like keeping that relationship warm. And I think the same goes for companies. Like when you interact with someone in the interview process, both the company and the, and the, the candidate, like you love to see mutual respect, like communication, setting expectations, all that stuff. Because you know, like you said, you never know. Three months could go by on either side and maybe three months from now, the company needs a new person and they think of that job seeker first. Or three months go by and the company is desperate to hire someone. They go back to that job seeker and they're like, I never even heard from you on my first application. Like, why would I want to interview with you now. I think, that, I think that goes both ways. You have written about on LinkedIn, I think there's a lot of things that companies make mistakes on in terms of, or individual talent acquisition professionals make mistakes on, on like things that they screen out for. I know you've written about like gaps in a resume or like requiring a certain level of education or a certain amount of experience, things like that, that a lot of people screen out for that maybe they shouldn't. So inversely, I wanna ask you, instead of the things that people are screening out for that they shouldn't, like what are then the things that you think talent acquisition professionals or yourself should be looking for as like the differentiators in a candidate? Like, okay, great. So. We agree gaps in resumes, like some of these things are a little outdated. So then what are you looking for instead for a candidate to be showing you in the application process that really is going to make them stand out? Yeah, I think a candidate that takes the time and has a thorough application, I could tell you as a talent acquisition professional, I receive direct messages from candidates, no joke, 100 to 150 a day from people all over the world. Wow. Predominantly, they're either recruiters or job seekers. When I am working on a position for the company that I'm currently consulting with, candidates that take the time to send me a DM on LinkedIn about the position will always put that candidate in my mind above others. So I think with the tools that we have out there right now, like LinkedIn, virtually you can find anything you want regarding a person, a company, the company's culture. So when candidates take the time to do their research, that will always stick out to me versus candidates that don't. 
A lot of applicant tracking systems as well allow for candidates to put a cover letter. So I have mixed feelings on the whole cover letter. I do think for the most part, it's somewhat of an antiquated process, but I have had candidates, maybe 10% or so that do send a cover letter. And I'm never going to fault a candidate for doing that because they take the time to research the company and put together a cover letter, but I will not at the same time disqualify someone because they don't. But Again, you know, with so many tools out there for job seekers, the best advice I have for job seekers is in addition to network, network, and network some more. If they see a role that they're interested in, do their research, try to find out who the hiring manager is. If they can't find that out, they can certainly find out who is in talent acquisition at the company. Take the time to send them a message on LinkedIn because I know for a fact, not only from my experience, but from e even the people that I'm connected to on LinkedIn, it's always a positive when candidates take that extra step. And in today's job market, which is incredibly competitive, as you know, Ben, right, you can look on LinkedIn and a position can be posted and it's not uncommon to see over a thousand applications. Yeah. Well, you're going to be stuck in that pile of a thousand if you don't do something to differentiate yourself over all the other applicants. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. There's two things specifically you mentioned that like I tell people all the time. One, if it's easy for someone else to do it, then it's not going to be a differentiator. So like the whole one click apply or something like that. If there's a thousand other people who all one click applied unless you have like the tippy top level of experience or perfect kind of application, it's going to be really hard to stand out in that way. And then the other thing you said that I love is the aspect of networking and giving yourself opportunities. And it's amazing because I think people think of referrals or like to companies as, oh, I, I need to have like a friend or a family member or somebody that, you know, my uncle works there, my aunt works there or something like that. But with LinkedIn and this modern networking, you can have someone that you don't really know that well, but that you've interacted with a few times, sent some messages, et cetera. And suddenly like, they're thinking of you as someone that they might want to put at the top of that resume pile. So talk to me about your thought process on like modern networking with LinkedIn and stuff like that, like what you recommend people doing? Yeah, actually, my current job I found on LinkedIn through networking. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I work at a company called One Digital and I work with Christine Matthews Consulting, which is, I guess you consider like the HR talent acquisition arm. And I sent her a note on LinkedIn, never knew who she was, came across her profile, did some research on her organization. I love the values and mission in which she stood for. So I sent her a personalized message on LinkedIn and she got back to me right away. And within two to three weeks, she hired me on. I've been at this company for two and a half years and it is without a doubt, one of the best jobs I've ever had. Wow. The job I had prior when I got laid off from my company at 18 years there was a gentleman who worked for me as a contractor at that company. And when I got laid off, I called him as part of my networking initiative. And he was a contractor at this company. And he said, give me your resume. Let me see what I can do. And then I ended up getting a job at that company through my network. So the yeah. past two jobs I've had is one, finding someone on LinkedIn. And the other one was someone who worked for me years ago that I maintained a great relationship with. So... What I always tell job seekers is to network as much as possible. Statistically speaking, the vast majority of people find a new job through their network. And especially when you look on LinkedIn, it is incredibly disheartening to see a thousand people apply for one job. And you have to really understand that statistically, you're not going to get a really good chance of getting that job. So it's 
finding people in your industry, researching companies, finding the decision makers at those companies and sending personalized messages. It works for so many people and it worked for me. And yeah. that is the way to find a job. It's not let's post and pray. I call it the post and pray method, post my resume and cross my fingers and toes and pray that I get a call. 97% of job seekers or 3% of job seekers, I should say, find a job through a job posting. 97% of job seekers find a job through another method. So that's mm. why I always educate you know, people that reach out to me on LinkedIn is tap into your network. People wanna help people, right? And people know good people. So even if you reach out to someone you haven't talked to in six months and they say, oh yeah, I'd love to help you. I actually know of a company that's hiring People get jobs that way. So it's get yeah. your name out there, become active on LinkedIn. That is crucial and critical. Yeah. Really engage with people on LinkedIn. That's the way to do it. Yeah. I, I don't remember the exact statistics, but I, I was reading a book a while back that talked about how people assume the most important relationships in their lives are like the, their strong, close relationships, like friends, close friends, family, et cetera. And that's true for a lot of important things in life. But when it comes to like opportunities or jobs or just things of that nature, oftentimes like weak ties, like that former colleague from a company that you worked at five years ago, or that friend from college that you haven't talked to in five years, or that person that you met that one time, those weak ties often end up being the people that have the biggest impact on the world of opportunities of work and other things like that. So don't discount the impact that just maintaining relationships and then building new relationships, like you mentioned, really lead to a lot of great outcomes for people. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with you. And, I, and I'll add this too. Networking is also about giving back to others, right? Mm. So in addition to, yeah, let's network because it can help us find a job or a new opportunity. I would also say to people that be a giver yourself. Don't just take, but give. What can you give to others to help them? Even if it's a stranger, like I said earlier, I receive way over a hundred messages on LinkedIn and I answer every single one of them. But a lot of times it's, they're just reaching out to try to network. And then I try to tell them, you know, this is what I think you should do. And if I think that there's someone in my network that can help them, yeah. I will make that connection. Because yeah. how awesome would it be to help people find jobs? I mean, to me, there's nothing more, I guess, impactful than being able to help other people find employment. So networking is not just give, 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 or take, take, take. It's yeah. give and take, give and take, give and take. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I always recommend people network and do the work before you need to, because I think people also... Obviously, people like yourself are getting hit up all the time by folks who are actively in the job search who are asking for something like you mentioned versus which is totally fine. But it's really powerful if you if you say, hey, I, I'm not necessarily in the job market right now, but I'm just looking to go and give because I don't need anything right now. So that way, when the time when your time comes that you do need something, you've already like invested a lot in these relationships. I actually posted about this very topic a couple days ago on LinkedIn where I wrote a post about here are the things that you should be doing now, even if you're gainfully employed, mm -hmm. because you never know when a company will lay you off. And a lot of times people who think they're safe, it turns out they're not safe. So what I suggested in my post was always have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C. And this way, 
if you are laid off and you are completely surprised by that, you have your ducks in a row that you don't have to go into panic mode because all of a sudden you're faced with no job and no prospects. So yeah. that's exactly what I posted about the other day. So it's great timing. That's amazing. I might have, it's definitely possible I was influenced, subtly influenced from reading your content. <laughs> no, that's great. And I like, I do tell people a lot that I, I don't think people should be constantly looking for the next best thing necessarily. Like I do think there's a lot of value in finding a good place that's investing in you and you're investing in that place and not necessarily putting your head down, but like focusing on building skills and getting better and stuff within what you're doing and not constantly being like, I have to be changing jobs every six months or something like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you said, you want to be prepared. So it's, it's important to do both a little bit, like invest where you're at, but also always be open and be networking and stuff like that. You post also about this sometimes that I think is really needs to be talked about more, which is this difference between acquisition of talent for companies and then retention of that talent for companies. And obviously there's like, like you mentioned, there could be layoffs and you could think you're safe. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Like you could be a really good employee. You could be a really bad employee. Like if a company is, needs to save money, they're going to lay you off all the same. And you have talked about how in your career as a leader, as a manager, all these things, like you are someone that likes to take care of your direct reports like proactively and that leads to better retention like at least some people not leaving the company because they're unhappy stuff like that so talk to me about your experience as a manager what are the steps that you have taken that you feel like are most impactful to reward and retain talent at a company yeah, this is a topic that is really near and dear to my heart. So I am proud to share that in 20 years of managing employees, I've never lost an employee due to a resignation. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. My golden rule is to treat others the way you would want to be treated. My other rule is my team were adults. They were not children. I was very passionate about my team feeling like they had really good work-life balance. So even before COVID came about and working remotely was a thing, my team worked from home two to three days a week, every week. I made sure my team took all of their vacation every year. I made sure that when they did take their vacation, that there was someone else on the team that could help them with their workload so that they didn't come back to a firestorm. I never forgot an anniversary. I never forgot a birthday. I knew the family member names of everyone on my team. And my philosophy was I worked for them. They did not work for me. So if you look on an organizational chart, yes, maybe Melissa Grabner is up here and maybe my team is down here. But in my mind, it's actually reversed. I worked for my team. And so it was very important to me that I had the pulse of everyone on my team at all times. So what I did was I had stay interviews. I call them stay interviews. So a lot of companies, what they do is when an employee leaves the company, they give them an exit interview to find out why are you leaving? What could we have done to retain you? I think all people managers need to get ahead of that at all times. So I would meet with every member of my team a couple times a year and it was, okay, Ben, what can I do to better support you? What have you been learning? What have been some of your challenges? What would you like to do that you haven't done? What skills would you like to acquire? What projects do you want to work on? 
And I would work directly with my team members to make sure that I gave them what they were asking for, obviously within reason. So if I had someone that said, I want to do XYZ assignment, okay, great. How can I help you? Let's let's do it. And I was their biggest cheerleaders. My team were adults. I treated them as such. And I think that companies need to realize that that turnover is incredibly, incredibly costly. Now, some turnover of course, could be okay. You have a low performer, you have someone who isn't really aligned with the mission or values of the organization. But if a company loses an employee, it takes not only time to backfill that position, but a lot of times the remaining members of the team have to assume that work. So you're adding more work to your existing employees. But I think every people manager, if they realize that they're managing adults, if they realize that you know, you treat people the way you want to be treated and you always have a pulse of your team and how they're feeling, you're going to be 95% ahead of the game. Now, yeah. that's, that's not to say that I didn't deal with performance issues because I did have a couple of employees on my team who had performance issues. I worked with them for, you know, a, a long time and trying to do what I could to help them. But ultimately for a couple of my employees, it just didn't work out. But I still talk to all of those employees to this day. So yeah. Not bad blood. They're still they're still on in my phone. So just treat people the way you want to be treated and you're not going to go wrong. Yeah. I think that's an important point at the end there you made too around performance and stuff like that because I think a lot of particularly like new managers or just people in general, there's a difference between treating people well or like always being nice all the time. That's not what you're saying. You're saying you hold people to a high bar and you have expectations and you hold them accountable to that. But then when they're showing up for you, you're showing up for them and you're rewarding them when they do perform well. And then you're, and you're there for them and you're supporting them when they're, when they're not doing well. I think anyone that's gone through like performance issues or challenges at different phases in their career, which like I have myself, all you really want is a manager that's going to show up and give you an opportunity to do better. And it's a testament to you to say like, there's so many people who have performance issues and then their manager doesn't care or doesn't show up for them. And then three months later, six months later, they get laid off and they leave thinking, you know, they didn't give me an opportunity or a fair shake, whatever. Different companies have different philosophies on like manager level people and like how much experience you need to have and training and all that stuff. I have worked at companies where people assumed a manager duties like very early in their career, like within two to three years of, of having work experience or managing people similar ages to them and stuff like that. So for someone who has been managing people for like 10, 15, 20 years, it's maybe easier to, to talk about, oh, I can get, go give them raises, do this or that. If you're like a brand new manager and maybe you're trying to, you're also trying to find your footing, like, oh, this employee asked me for a raise. Like, I don't want to go ask for that because it's going to make me look bad. Or like, hey, this employee is having performance issues. That's going to make me look bad. Or like different things like that. What do you recommend brand new managers to do to just get the basics right for their direct reports? Yeah, I think it's really important that when any employee joins a company, they're set up for success. Employees that don't have the proper training, it's not fair to them. And then there's a higher chance that there could be a performance issue. So I think training new hires to be successful is really the responsibility of the manager. There have been many times in my career where I have been faced with things with my direct reports that I didn't know how to handle, especially when I became a new manager. And Luckily for me, I had a really lovely, wonderful relationship with my boss where I felt comfortable going to him and saying, 
I'm asking you this because I want to get it right. I don't want to yeah. guess and get it wrong. Right. So this way also, if I did something to one of my direct reports that maybe wasn't in line with the company's philosophy or wasn't in line with like the employer relations handbook, I had to cover my butt, so to speak. So I didn't get in trouble. So, you know, to me, it's always better to ask the questions and know what you're doing and ask the questions to someone who could help you answer them, then just kind of figure it out on your own. And then it, you could put yourself in a really, really bad position. But all, all people managers should have, in my opinion, should have an open door policy where any of their direct reports feel comfortable to go to them with any questions, because ultimately we all want the organization we're working for to be successful. I'm also a very firm believer in that when an employee receives their performance review, there should be no surprises, right? Mm. So when you sit down with an employee and you have their either, you know, biannual or annual review and the employee said, I had no idea you were feeling this way about my performance and you catch these people off guard, that is a failure on the part of the manager. So whenever I had employee performance discussions with my team, they knew exactly where they stood. There was no surprises because it wouldn't have been fair in my perspective to have any of my team feel surprised because then I wasn't doing my job as a manager in terms of coaching them ongoing with what needed to be done in, in regards to their performance. Yeah, I'm big advocate of that as well. As someone who has been a direct report, a manager, on both sides of that, where there's times where you have a review and you're like, this is catching me off guard. Luckily, most of my managers over the years have been really good about, I'm a huge proponent of immediate, direct yes. feedback, real time. I think that's also much more effective, right? Like if you're trying to give someone feedback four months later about some project they worked on four months ago, they're, they're going to be like, oh, I don't even really remember making that mistake or this mistake or improving it. So I think I think a feedback as a as a gift and any mm -hmm. good manager is going to be delivering it like with empathy. Once you know that a manager cares about you, you have the ability to like in you, like you mentioned, you know, knowing their life outside of work, knowing their families, like knowing their goals and aspirations, all that stuff like means that you it's way easier for you to deliver feedback that they're going to. Exactly. I want to just close it out with just some quick hitters around the job search. If you have, you mentioned networking, you mentioned using LinkedIn. Are there any kind of closing thoughts you have around for a job seeker things that you would recommend? Hey, do these three, four things. If you are either actively in the job search or just to prepare in the future for a potential job search, you might have to go through. Yeah. So I guess the first thing I would say is just from uh, an emotional standpoint is to realize that there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. It's something that all job seekers go through and we only need one job, right? So what I, what I say to my, the people that reach out to me is you don't need 10 jobs. You need to find one job. And if you keep networking and, and keep at it and don't give up, I always tell job seekers to take time for their mental health, to take time to exercise, and to really lean on family and friends. It's nothing to be ashamed of when you lose a job. I mean, pretty much everyone I know at some point or another has lost a job, and especially in the last couple of years, how with, you know when COVID hit, so many people were found unemployed. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Right. Um, we all go through it. But I would say also a lot of, I know like here in Chicago, there's a lot of really great networking organizations that I have been a part of in the past that allowed me to meet additional people. So that's really helped. 
just network, you know, again, not to beat this down, but networking is really the key to finding a job. And don't be afraid to just to reach out to people because most people at the end of the day, they want to help you. Yeah. But, you know, join organizations. What I find really beneficial is there's a lot of groups in LinkedIn, like LinkedIn groups where you can add content. I have posted a lot of things within like different talent acquisition groups, HR groups, and a lot of my connections that have been built over the years have been from people that found me or I found them through these really great LinkedIn groups. Mm. Okay. I love that. And then maybe the, just as a final question, you said you have two sons who are currently in college right now. What would you tell them like, as they're thinking about trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives or their careers or stuff like that for any young people out there, maybe either around that age or early in their career or something, any advice you have to give for trying to figure it out? Yeah, this is such a timely question because I have been having these conversations with both of my boys lately, my husband and I, we tell them we just want them to be happy. Because there's nothing worse than going to a job you hate for 40 years. Yeah. And you live one life and you have to be happy. And hopefully it's something that you can make a living doing and making a good living doing. But we always tell them whatever it is, just be happy. And if you're not, see what else is out there. You know, someone's in a job. They don't have to stay in that job forever. If they're not happy, then find something else. And sometimes it might take a couple jobs to find your passion. I knew that I always wanted to be in HR. I have been very blessed in my career because there's nothing I'd rather be doing working in the business world. But I realized that that's not the case for everyone. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you just want to be happy and hopefully you can find your passion, whatever that may be. Awesome. I think that's a great place to close. I've really just enjoyed the conversation. Great insights, both on how to think about the job search and career for candidates and then also on things that companies should be getting right more often and things that companies can do to treat their employees better. So Melissa, thanks so much for uh, being on the show today. Thanks, Ben. It was my pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thank 